HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today I know that everyone is plugged into Tech Bytes, the show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. Today we are looking at commercial kitchen rentals. It's sort of like the Airbnb of commercial kitchen space. It's an idea that came before the pandemic, but is very, very well suited to the pandemic. I say it came before the pandemic because on this show and in the industry and in the news, we've been reading for many years now about the economic reckoning that's been building in the restaurant business. As a matter of fact, the last episode of 2018 that we did on Tech Bytes The last episode of the year is always a preview into the next year. And we had Dan Hellebron from Hellebron Levy, which is a very well-known restaurant legal outfit, attorneys of law. And his predictions for 2019 was get ready to see your favorite neighborhood restaurant close. And why was that? Well, they were doing a lot of work on terminating contracts and terminating spaces and terminating partnerships. And the reason for that was just pure economics. Rent goes up, electricity goes up, cost of food goes up. You now have social media, third-party delivery apps, all those things. Restaurant costs continue to go up, 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 up. But menu prices didn't. And menu prices are still really a tight barrier for a lot of restaurants. If restaurants actually did the P&L for what a menu item would cost, you'd probably be paying $50 for a burger, which people don't want to pay. So... A breaking point was coming and a reckoning was coming, and then the pandemic happened and everything stopped. And some of what we're seeing is a result of a tenuous situation leading up, and some of what we're seeing in the restaurant industry is a result of the pandemic itself. Joining us today is Dan Unter, who is co-founder and CEO of a company called Kitsch, and they are essentially sort of the Airbnb of commercial restaurant space. You can go to usekitsch.com and select a city. They are in Atlanta, Boston, Detroit, L.A., Miami, Nashville, New York, and others. Pick a space and see. You can rent it by the hour. You can rent it by the day. You can rent it by the month. Ready, equipped. Just sign up, 
make the deal and show up and make your stuff. It's a pretty interesting idea. And um, especially now, I'm sure every single listener is walking. When you walk through your neighborhood, there are empty restaurant spaces. So it is um, really connecting two different demographics of people, people who need commercial space and people who have it, hopefully to a great profit. So Dan, thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So Dan, as I, as I said in the introduction, the idea for Kitsch, it's so perfect for this moment in time um, when we see just such high, empty, high numbers of empty spaces in neighborhoods and on the streets in retail across the country and across the world. It seems really perfect for now, but Kitsch was actually an idea that you had that you started back in 2019, way before this. Correct. Yeah, my last, uh, the last job that I had was owner and operator of a small restaurant in Queens, New York. And we actually did very well. We were successful by all rights um, and were looking to push into new territories. Um, and we had lots of catering and followers in other areas and we're looking to get into Manhattan, et cetera. And it's just, you know, the, the whole idea of, building out a place or paying key money to get into an existing place and then signing the 10 year lease and the, you know, all the equipment and everything like that was a lot to deal with. And I ended up selling the restaurant, uh, after six years, but before I, I expanded and that sort of mentality is what led me into, um, the advent of Kitsch. Well, tell us really quickly when you were talking, you, you, you listed off some words that are very familiar to the restaurant industry, but maybe not so familiar to some of our listeners at home. When, when people are looking at an existing restaurant space to take over to rent, you mentioned something called key money. What's key money for those following along at home who may not know? It's, it's very specific to the restaurant business. You're very correct. So um, if you look at an empty space that you want to put a restaurant in, then you will uh, rent that space and you will hire an architect and you'll buy a whole bunch of equipment and a hood system and you'll get yourself all put together to operate a restaurant. That scenario depends, you know, sort of where you are geographically, but typically that is, that will run you in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, uh, to get everything running. And typically that will run in the high upper, um, the, the high hundreds of thousands of dollars, close to a million. Um, key money is a different concept. Basically what you're looking at is an existing kitchen that has been used already by someone else. And they've left because the restaurant, um, didn't do well enough to, to stay. So the landlord then offers it or the existing tenant who wants to leave offers it to someone that wants to come in not spend all the money on the the build out um, and the equipment. And so what they do instead is they say, all right, just give us a lump sum to come in and then all of the equipment and everything is yours. And sometimes that, and that's called key money. And sometimes that includes the name of the business, if you would like, you know, if there's still goodwill there with customers, then that could also be part of the equation. So key bunny is part of what we also hear very often um, in restaurant real estate transactions, which is it was a turnkey deal, which essentially means one 
owner of the lease or, you know, owner of the space gives the key to the new owner and they just basically turn the key in the door and walk in and they have the space as is almost ready to go. Sure. Yes, you would (laughs) think that's the case. Of course, invariably, commercial equipment, while it is built for high pressure situations, um, typically invariably will break down after a period of time of of, uh, heavy commercial usage. Um, so the, the sort of the, un, you know, the known secret in the restaurant business is that essentially you're inheriting other people's problems. If you don't buy new equipment, new equipment is very expensive. Used equipment is extremely cheap in comparison, but again, these are, you know, these are pieces of equipment that can be used in different types of ways and sometimes abused. And so when you walk into a scenario like that, yeah, you don't know kind of what you're getting into. So the there's so many different permutations and of course the individual aspects of a space from a white box that needs to be totally built out to a fully functioning existing restaurant kitchen or food production kitchen. Um, the spaces run the gamut, pricing runs the gamut. And then for the operator or the chef or the business owner who wants to come in, it can be very challenging to find a space um, that's maybe built out that works economically economically. Um, especially today. And today what we have, which is interesting, is we have a lot of people who are maybe displaced from their restaurant or people who are cooks and chefs who are looking to make food or do a catering business or a pop-up or something temporary while we're in this fluid time of the COVID pandemic. And it can be very expensive to build out a kitchen. It can be very expensive to take a lease. So the idea, tell us where the idea of being able to rent a kitchen for an hour or a day came from. It makes a lot of sense. I would imagine there's a lot of use for that, but it wasn't something that was out there on the market. There aren't, you know, too many, you don't have too many competitors right now. No, we do not. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the sort of genesis of Kitsch really came from the PTSD, I guess you could say that, uh, (laughs) of dealing with sort of a quote unquote successful restaurant again, which really does mean that you need to expand. Um, and what I mean by that essentially is, you know, you have 12 people that are, you know, working for your kitchen, working for your restaurant, excuse me. Um, and you've got nowhere to, um, promote anyone. You've got no room to um, expand the the reach of your brand. We started doing a lot of catering in Midtown. Um, I needed to find a kitchen because if I didn't, um, I would be, and I was sort of destroying my existing operation. Catering, for example, you know, you're feeding two, 300 people for lunch, which means for my place, my guys had to come in at two in the morning. Uh, and prepare that food like in a scramble before our 6 a.m. breakfast started. So they would be absolutely ruined by, you know, by lunch, which was our biggest uh, shift of the day, um, which was really unfair. They weren't, you know, paid accordingly. They were paid, you know, overtime. Um, but still, it's backbreaking work and you're, you know, you're sort of back at it the next day. It's really, it's not a great model. In fact, it's terrible. Um, so I really needed to, you know, there's, there's a hundred reasons why you sort of need to keep pushing, but, um, that push on the ownership side is, uh, is high leverage, right? It's dangerous. Um, if I did open that space in Midtown, whether 
you pay key money to get into an existing or you pay that, you know, 600 grand to get to build out a place. Either way, you look at it um, with that 10 year lease, as you said, if that store underperforms, then your first place starts uh, starts supporting the second one and you'll be sort of end up in a house of cards situation, which is really treacherous. And it also sort of exemplifies the the timing issue or seasonality issue of restaurants. What you're describing is probably something like a lunch place in Midtown Manhattan where, or any, think of any commercial district or business district in your city where you have lots and lots of people there for lunch, but those restaurants and businesses are not doing much business, if any, in the evening. So one of the difficulties and challenges of restaurant people is to have a restaurant working as much as possible in the 24-hour cycle. It's You're sort of right. like having a factory that only that only produces things for six hours a day. And then, you know, the other time of the day, it's, it's sitting there quiet and empty, which is just a, a waste of resources because you're still paying for it. You're still paying for it. So that's the challenge, really. You're 100% right. And because restaurants are high volume, low margin, generally speaking, um, you really are. You really keep a keen eye on the fact that you're paying rent for 24-hour access to a kitchen, but yet, to your point, are using it maybe six hours a day. So, a really good way to look at it that 24-hour cycle is that that is a perishable asset. Those hours that you have available to you out of that 24-hour cycle are something that, but at the end of the 24 hours, are gone. So, you've sort of lost an opportunity, and that really plays into the the sort of kitsch mindset um, in the sense that you have that 24 hours. Let's put those open hours on our platform and find people to take them. So did you have difficulty convincing people to participate initially when you were getting it up off the ground? Uh, Was there a different version of it initially that you beta tested that maybe work didn't work? Did restaurants get it? Did owners get it? Did (laughs) how was the rollout? Sure. I mean, no, it's the same as it was. I just don't know if we were explaining it as well. And it is very new. So even calling it the Airbnb of commercial kitchens is just sort of one of those easy explainers that we used um, to get people on board to the concept. But at the same time, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, we had to be pretty, uh, didactic in like explaining the entire process because we didn't have to explain that the restaurant industry was, and remains sort of broken. And, you know, these are the pressure points that point that everybody, everybody understands that it's more like, wait, so they come in and what do they do? You know, like it was, (laughs) it was pretty interesting and nobody knew what a ghost kitchen kind of was either which was funny. Yeah. Which was, that was still relatively very new idea, the <laughs> yeah. ghost kitchen and dark kitchen. We did an episode last week with um, a group called uh, Cluster Truck and they are dark kitchen, vertically integrated with their own delivery process, which is interesting. Awesome. So who was the hardest group to convince? Um, pre-pandemic, it was restaurateurs. I think offering free money to asset holders, you know, like um, larger restaurants, let's call them, um, or hotels or bars, nightclubs, country clubs who have these assets. It's pretty easy to say, hey, you're not using your kitchen during this time frame. 
um, let's get someone in there uh, and they'll pay you. And they say, oh, that's like a, that's money. That's a new source of revenue. Okay. My ears are, are, uh, are up and I'm listening. Um, on the other side, because the ghost and dark kitchen world was so, uh, so new, um, they were sort of like, uh, unsure really what the benefits were to an extent. Um, you know, can you make money in a ghost kitchen? Does your brand suffer? Um, you know, the delivery platform scenario was still in its sort of worst stage. It's not like in a great stage now, but I was just going to say, how would you cat it? What would be the adjective that you would use right now? (laughs) Slightly better. Um, but I mean, back, you know, in 2019, you had your three players, they were taking 30%. Um, Still same, still same. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But you have um, you have some options now uh, in terms of digital advertising has gotten a lot uh, more mature. You can use the you have to use the the big three still, um, but you could use them on some level as lead gen. You know, to grab mm-hmm. your own lead generators cust- for new yeah customers. lead generators mm-hmm. to get customers get their information. Um, and then use other groups like, you know, Lunchbox or, uh, GoParrot or whatever to, you know, capture those customers on your own platform and then use a delivery service like Relay or your own people to, to deliver the food. So you're not like as hamstrung by the platforms. And then of course, you know, New York and San Francisco passing laws to lower the, the, um, the rates that they take is also a step in, in a good direction as well. Um, so the, the, your, your customers, your client base, the people who would be renting the kitchen space was the hardest group to convince. Did you have a large demographic of people who were maybe starting off a food making business or a catering business, people who were, perhaps working from home or trying to figure out, you know, we hear so many stories about the person who was making something at home and maybe selling it at a pop-up or a farmer's market or just to friends and it becomes so popular and they have to figure out how to get into a larger production space and, you know, maybe do something commercial, but they're not quite a full-fledged business yet. Did you have any of those sort of like artisan food makers or was that group too far outside of your restaurant industry and real estate industry pipeline? We had an absolute ton of those and we still do. And we love them. Um, Kitsch, because you can rent uh, a a space that's in a, that is existing for a period of time um, to operate a catering or small manufacturing or ghost kitchen type of deal, or even a pop-up or whatever. Um, because the barriers are so much lower to enter the market because of the economics, um, we do attract uh, many, many artisans, many people, as you mentioned earlier, who are sitting on the sidelines coming from Michelin star restaurants or um, coming from big operations or whatever it is and are wondering what they can do. And uh, to your earlier point, yes, um, it is extremely uh, treacherous to go down the road traditionally of, of, uh, you know, doing a giant build out and then 
signing that lease and signing your name on it, which usually is a personal guarantee on the lease term. Um, if you're not full fledged and you don't have like a product market fit, then, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice. Uh, and as we, as we well, well know, and we don't need to delve into this too much, you know, the restaurant industry, uh, way before the pandemic, you know, there's, it's the road there is littered with so many broken dreams yeah, and so much money that was thrown away. And it always is, but it has become increasingly uh, more and more difficult with all of the rising costs on one hand and, um, you know, consumer understanding of that rising cost not matching the rates of expenditure for restaurants. So explain to us kind of how it works from both sides, just in case people listening you know, we, we have a lot of industry folks who listen to Tech Bytes and listen to Heritage Radio Network. Explain to us how it works on the um, host kitchen side and then explain to us how it works on the, you know, food maker customer side, renter side. Sure. Um, on the host side, you have uh, a restaurateur, you have a hotelier, you have someone that owns a country club, uh, a nightclub, a bar, um, a deli, you know, that's, as you mentioned, you know, closes at two o'clock, you have, um, you have a kitchen and it's not being used. Sometimes it's not being used at all. You know, in the case of many, many hotels that we talk to, um, they don't even use their kitchen or they use it from like six to 10, or they've got a secondary kitchen that they, you know, built for some, you know, some reason. Uh, and they've been into twice in like, you know, three years. So you have an asset that is sitting there, um, underutilized or unused. You list it on our platform. It is very similar to Airbnb in the sense that you're putting up pictures, you're describing it in a positive way. Um, you're talking about the geographic area and its potential and, um, you're listing the equipment um, and any other parameters. And then you sort of put down a price and that price could be a monthly, a yearly, a daily, um, uh, or even hourly. And sometimes people even prefer to do, just do revenue share, which is also kind of cool. Um, so that is, uh, what we consider a listing. Um, and those listings go up on our on our platform. And, um, then there's messaging that goes back and forth between lots of people that are looking for all kinds of opportunities, um, with that, we call them a kitchen host. And, um, then they get to sort of pick and choose what they, what they think will work best. Um, it sounds pretty straightforward. It makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. And, Certainly for the independent operator or the food maker who's looking to rent a space, the fact that it's a legal space is super helpful um, if you want to run your business um, within those parameters is always great. <laughs> yeah. Were there any, I mean, it seems very simple and very straightforward. Were there any unexpected surprise, you know, any surprises or unexpected hitches in terms of the formula? Uh, was there something that you didn't, plan for that popped up good, bad, or otherwise? Uh, not really. Um, and I'll tell you why, not because we're, we're super smart. That's for sure. But we, um, this is not something new, you know, the sort of idea of using someone's kitchen to do a pop-up, um, or to borrow a space is sort of a cottage industry in and of itself in the food business. People have been doing this for, you know, probably forever. Um, we did not invent borrowing someone's kitchen. 
Uh, all we did was uh, sort of help the industry in terms of aggregating the spaces and creating a sort of structure because typically borrowing a space would be, it would only be like someone that you knew, like, oh, I know this guy, you know, he owns a restaurant. I'm going to use the space for a pop-up. And then there'd be like no contract. There would be, you know, maybe like a back of the neck in discussion of, you know, what the metrics are going to be, you know, like who, what you're going to pay, what day, but you know how it is with negotiations. If it's not, you know, kind of like really structured, uh, people Especially shy in the restaurant from, business. Yes. You say back of the yes. napkin deal. I often say that the restaurant tech level is pencil on cocktail napkin. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm no different. Or, you know, I'm or the Sharpie same. on seafood towel. Uh, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I, I am, I feel exposed. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, what we say, you know, our sort of value add there is a, your space is exposed to a, a much wider audience. And then of course, when they do come in, there is a scope of work. There's a legal contract, there's payment that goes through us. Um, and is, you know, there's a, a security deposit, you know, so it's, there's so a it's lot turnkey. more. Yes, it is turnkey. <laughs> you're right. Should have thought of that. Well, it's turnkey and it also, you know, the high tide raises all ships. If you have, you know, a hundred people looking for a kitchen rental who are just doing it on their own, they may or may not find something. But if you have a hundred people looking for a kitchen rental and they all go to the same place, then it becomes a little bit more interesting. It's all, I mean, everything is is a volume game and having things online, people are so connected to their lives and their businesses online. It just, it makes a lot of sense. And again, I'm, I'm surprised that you don't have more competitors. Um, we are going to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Dan about what's happening now. They have some interesting partnerships and things happening and also how the pandemic affected what was already a great idea. We're going to take a little break here to find out who is supporting this show. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We're a little bit like public radio. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you. Thank you out there if you're a member. We love you. We get supported by grants and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We are talking about kitsch. 
the online marketplace for commercial kitchens. The easiest way to explain it is to say it's kind of like the Airbnb of commercial kitchen space. If you're a food maker, chef, restaurant person, and you need to rent a kitchen for an hour, a day, or a month, go to usekitch.com and check out their inventory. They have kitchens ready to go, big, small, cities across the country. It's a pretty interesting idea. It's an idea that happened back in 2019, but is actually perfect for this time. Again, if you want to check it out, go to usekitch.com. You can find them on social media at usekitch. And we're talking with Dan Unter, who's co-founder and CEO of Kitch. So Dan, it's a great idea and certainly an idea whose time was very relevant uh, before the pandemic. Take us through what happened starting around like March 2020. The pandemic has been especially brutal for restaurants in so many ways, um, the distance, the socialization, the closing, the health, the staff, you know, so many things. We're, we're losing 30% of our restaurants, 40% of our restaurants, depending on what city you live in. Did anything about your business plan or your game plan change with Kitsch? Did it just sort of pressure test and give you a positive result on a good idea? Did you accelerate anything? Did you pivot? Um, it's a, it's an excellent question. And, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, it just brings me back and just sort of the heartbreak of, of the pandemic from the restaurant perspective, uh, is palpable. Um, yeah, so we, we came out, um, and we were doing some business really, really early, um, pre pandemic. And then when everything hit, um, it was destructive, of course, to the <clears throat> to the restaurant business and to us as well. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're a, a marketplace, so we thrive on some level of equilibrium, which means that there's enough supply of kitchens for people that are looking to to expand or open operations um, to find something that suits them. And so the equilibrium really went out of whack when hotels and restaurants started closing and looking to Kitch to provide new and exciting revenue, sure, but there was nobody really that um, that was looking to open or expand an operation during, you know, especially those early stages of the pandemic. So it was kind of crickets on one side um, and then lots of activity on the other. Um, and the only other piece of it was our relevance, really, because we were so new and kind of nobody knew what a ghost kitchen was. And we came out of our uh, sort of opening stages um, at our accelerator, um, looking at the kitchen plan as a, a one to two year plan that we would catch the, the ghost kitchen wave as it you know, came from Asia and and the UK and sort of inched into LA and New York and, and became part of the 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 public consciousness. But that one to two years was became like one to two weeks. We immediately were this company that people were talking to and talking about. Um, and that was it was incredibly interesting. Um, but again, the the thrust of your question is that the pandemic was obviously horrible for everybody, um, including our company. And uh, we're excited to to get out of it and be a part of the expansion and growth of the industry. 
The flexibility and fluidity of the opportunity to work, not work, timing, some days pop up, make product, sell it, um, seems like it's it's really an opportune moment right now, that flexibility for both the host side and, and the, you know, sort of chef and maker side. You just announced a partnership with Kettle Space, which is an interesting company that we've actually been following for a while here on Tech Bytes. And I recall a few years ago, we went back and forth with some of the founders to try and have them on the show. Um, a few years ago, there were a couple different companies that launched. And the idea there was also about using empty restaurant space for profit with outside tenants coming in. And in this instance, instead of it being um, food makers or other chefs or restaurant people coming in to use a restaurant kitchen for production, the idea for Kettle Space is essentially the hours that a restaurant is not being used, you have a dining room that's just sitting there that's empty. Maybe the chef or you know your sommelier is having some meetings, but for all intents and purposes, you have empty space. You combine that with the idea of a lot of freelancers, a lot of co-working, um, a dramatic shift in the traditional ideas of where people work during the day and office work, creative work, meeting work, white collar work. Um, so the idea of kettle space is you take a restaurant that is open and working and you use their dining room space as a co-working space and you rent that to individual people uh, to come in and work by the hour or the day or the month, or you rent that to companies who are looking for co-working spaces. And it has a lot of the benefits of setting up at a coffee shop. Um, you sit down, you have your computer, you have coffee and tea and snacks, you have a place where people can come and meet you. Um, so it has a lot of those similar elements. The flip side to that is because it is set up like a co-working space, you're guaranteed to have good Wi-Fi, you have a little bit more uh, privacy, and you are guaranteed to have other people in the space that are there to work also, which is nice. Um, so it's a very interesting idea, and I'm happy to see that Kettle Space has not only survived um, the startup years, but is, is now sort of moving forward, and it, it seems like a great matchup between Kitchen Kettle Space. Um, how, how did that come about? So... Uh, well, funny enough, we um, when Kitsch came sort of to fruition, um, one of our spaces that we were working out of was um, a kettle space place. So you were using kettle spaces <laughs> co-working while you yeah, were building Kitsch. Of course. So you're, Makes you're, sense. If I go to kettlespace.com, which is their website, are you one of the testimonials? Will I find you there? No, no. Talking about how you launched your amazing um online marketplace right we should of, talk about that space. that's, yeah, that's a good idea yes um but i love the company of course and um we had connected with them a little while ago in relation to or in regards to a series of empty um restaurants and um empty restaurants are landlord owned um and they're completely empty um and so what happens a lot of times is if a kitchen is underutilized um, or unused, then the dining area is at the same time. 
Um, and we would get questions like, well, if I'm going to rent out my kitchen, what about my dining area? Do they want to, does the kitchen operator want to use my dining area? And the answer to that is maybe, but probably not in the sense that they're paying a much lower rate to get into the kitchen and use it as a catering place or a place to build your, you know, meal plans or meal kits uh, or do your dark kitchen work and that kind of stuff. I mean, if they were to use the dining area, then that really becomes a full lease of the space. So it's not really um, – you can maybe get there, but uh, but that's not really the, the idea of it. So um, we started speaking to Kettle Space because they really are that – they perform that exact function, you know. So uh, the fit was really was really great. And you're just not a partner. You're a customer. <laughs> exactly exactly the kettle space club for men <laughs> and women and everyone who <laughs> no needs doubt. hot coffee and some wi-fi mm-hmm. and a nice space to have a meeting right it, again and the kettle space idea certainly predates the pandemic and the idea of repurposing existing space while they're not be, while it's not being used is is very smart and sort of the coming together of kitchen and kettle space, front of the house, back of the house, as it were, um, is another interesting idea. Are you just experiencing exponential growth right now? Yeah, um, we are. So uh, as, um, as a duo, as a sort of partnership, we have yet to do a deal together, but we've done a number of in, um, introductions for them to look at and, um, and vice versa. And that's sort of where we are right now. But, um, but yeah, we're really excited because we do hear that very often. Um, you know, what about our dining area? If, if they're, you know, if you're going to find me somebody, or if I'm going to talk to someone and they're going to come and use the kitchen, uh, what about the dining area? And so we think kettle space is like a, just a perfect partner to, uh, to throw into the mix. So tell us what is on the horizon for Kitsch. You know, we are coming into the last quarter of 2021. Certainly much of what has happened over the past 18 months, I'm sure, was not in your business plan for growth. Mm. Is it possible to make a good game plan for a company that deals with restaurants, which are notoriously difficult to game plan (laughs) and put restaurants into an environment of a very uncertain, always moving global pandemic. Can you plan as a business owner, as a founder of a new business? Of course you can. Um, And the world, albeit, um, you know, a very uncertain world, um, that's sort of the same, you know, uncertainty that every restaurateur deals with anyway. Um, Kitsch is, um, we're a, well, we we could be whatever, um, but in many cases is a stepping stone, right? Is for that maker, for that artisan um, to step out and and start something, or it's an expansion idea for a mid-range regional player, you know, with five to 10 units, but wants to look at other areas at a much, much lower return on investment. Um, so we think that the idea of Kitsch will, will remain 
forever. I mean, the idea that you can go out and find quote unquote product market fit um, without signing a 10 year uh, marriage um, essentially um, is really exciting. And I think that will spur a lot of creativity, right? Because now you're not stuck with this like hardline game plan um, in terms of capturing an audience, you can play around a little bit and keep that creative spirit going because you know that if nobody cares about what you're selling or you're selling it at, at, you know, too expensive or whatever it is, if it's just a failure and for all intents and purposes, that you don't have a ton of leverage tied into that. Um, It is a great opportunity to sort of use kitsch as an R&D space. And certainly for people who are, there were so many great stories during the pandemic about people who were at home and started cooking and baking and making bread and food and cookies and chocolates and sharing them with their neighbors. And there's quite famously an actor in New York who started baking baguette and would deliver them on a bicycle to people when they came out of the oven and ultimately wound up going from his home to working in a restaurant kitchen, uh, similar, a similar arrangement, I would assume, to, to one light kitchen. You know, those types of things maybe happened because of the pandemic, but certainly some of the famous food brands that we know all started with someone cooking in their home and then going to a larger space. So certainly we have that. And again, I'm, I'm almost surprised that you don't have competitors and it hasn't happened sooner. Um, so you have back of the house with kettle space, you have front of the house. It sounds like you need to um, make a partnership with a staffing, temp staffing agency and say, and you can click here if you need some line cooks. <laughs> um, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of partnership opportunities um, in any stage of growth of, of a restaurant business. And certainly staffing is a huge one. Um so is technology and so is, um, marketing and printing and, um, obviously food supplies and all that kind of stuff. Do you see yourself being a a really more cohesive hub for different elements of the restaurant business? We have to be. Yeah. The idea of, of just being a listing service is not at all something that we're, that we're okay with. We really want to support um, our clients or customers, uh, throughout the entire process, even going from, you know, your two kitsch ghost kitchens into a brick and mortar, which we consider a success, right? Um, that's great because that brick and mortar is now, um, the owner is, um, has data on whether or not this is going to work. They've been training people, employees, they have their supplies and their, and their menu together. So going into a brick and mortar now, um, you're in a much better chance to succeed. So we see ourselves really managing and helping people, um, throughout the entire process for sure. It's really a business based on opportunity, which is great. Um, and it's a business of, um, opportunity and utilizing uh, resources that are, you know, underperforming or or just sitting around, which is great. Um, and, you know, certainly we have so much restaurant space. We have so many people who want to do things that it's great to have an opportunity for them to come together. If people are interested in renting a space, you go to usekitch.com. It's pretty straightforward. 
What does an operator or a landlord or a leaseholder or a restaurant owner need to do to become a host kitchen? Uh, the listing creation process should take around five to ten minutes. Um, it is very simple. Um, it is at the same the same web address. You just go to list your kitchen, um, and really all you need is pictures of your kitchen, a good sense of what the equipment is and a good sense of what you want to charge for that available time. Uh, we do have some guidelines on the, on the platform itself as to how to charge, like what's a good, uh, a good rate. Um, but you could also look at comparables in, in the same area as well. So currently you are in 11 cities, Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, and New York. Do you have other cities getting ready to come online either later this year or going into 2022? Absolutely. Um, We have quite a few. Do you want to tell us what some of them are? At the moment, um, we'll just let them come about as they do because they're... um, they're with groups of people that uh, own multiple assets um, and really want to, you know, sort of blow it out. So we'll, we'll let that happen as it does. Okay. I would assume that you probably would be putting San Francisco and some mm. of the other big cities oh, yeah. um, coming online. That's exciting. That's great. Uh, and again, it's nice to match up people, resources in need and I walk around my neighborhood in downtown New York City and I see so many empty restaurants and there have been empty restaurants leading up to the pandemic. There are restaurants on corners that have been empty for years. And not only is it a sad thing to see an empty storefront in a neighborhood, but it's also sad to see an empty restaurant just because we know there are so many people who are looking for a good space, who are looking for opportunity. And it's nice to have an easy stepping stone for some, as you say, low risk, low financial investment to get an idea. And you know what? Sometimes testing out your idea, testing out your product is a huge success and it will solidify the idea that this is definitely the right thing to be doing. On the flip side, restaurant work is perhaps one of the most difficult jobs and professions that there is. And you could get into a space and start cooking and say, you know what? It's great making dinner for my family. I really don't want to make dinner for my for my city. <laughs> yeah, and then that too um, can be really beneficial. Well, all of us that have ever worked on the line in kitchens, we all know, and I certainly have for for many years. We all know that the sort of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed uh, new owner that comes in and has great ideas, and then within a few months. Uh, with the weight and the stress of all the leverage and the fact that, you know, there are like 54 spices, uh, you know, sauce that their grandmother taught them um, is just, you know, not selling and certainly they're not making money on it. And then all of a sudden the menu start changing and the labor starts changing and the, the attitude gets worse. And so, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, this is a stepping stone and an ability for, for people to, uh, to test out things and see if they're going to work. There's so much to being a successful restaurant, successful restaurateur, successful chef. 
Um, you know, we talk about this on the show all the time. It's not Top Chef spreadsheet challenge. It's not Top Chef P&L or safety inspection or sanitary <laughs> inspector challenge. But all those things are so important. You know, the, the passion, the idea, the point of view of a restaurant, you know, is the, the driving force. And that's certainly what makes people inspired to get up every day and go to a very hard job. One of my favorite anecdotes about you know, sort of the realization of what the restaurant business is really like is at the Food and Finance High School in New York City, um, which is a public school, which is about restaurants and and teaching high school kids to be chefs and and work in the restaurant business. We've done several shows with them. Um, It's a great, great organization and um, institution. When the freshmen come in, the first thing that they do is not create their secret sauce or their signature dish or, you know, learn how to demo a recipe on TV, the first thing they learn is sanitation. Sanitation, health inspection, cleaning, all those things that are important for licensing and 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 your certifications, but also, you know, the backbone of running a proper business. And I think that is a big eye-opener and, you know, a, a, a maybe in some instances a rude awakening that, you know, the first thing you need to learn how to do is, is clean your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, you know, it's, 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 I love that program. Um, and yeah, it, there is no top chef for P&L spreadsheets. You're I mean, it's just an, it's a great point. That would be um, a funny show. We should maybe pitch that to Bloomberg, you know, top chef spreadsheet P&L. I think it'd be great. Absolutely. Optimization. <laughs> Optimization experts. Some, I mean, why a, not? A, a, a geek, a geek show for oh all, all of our tech shows. Cause this right. is Tech Bites, and we're kind of geeky, but we like that. I want to thank Dan Unter, co-founder and CEO of Kitsch for joining us. Again, if you want to take a look at what they do, Go to usekitch.com. They recently entered into a partnership with Kettlespace, which is fantastic. They're at kettlespace.com. I want to thank all our listeners and members who joined up and became members this fall, who got some great swag, who maybe became monthly members and sort of ring that bell once a month to help us keep the lights on and the mics hot and make stories like this one. Because our hope is Not only is this an interesting piece of what's happening in the industry today, but hopefully this is a useful piece of information that you may be able to use in your day for your business or pass along to somebody who maybe is looking for one of these services. I want to thank the entire team at Heritage Radio Network for keeping us virtual, online, and recording. Thank DJ Uptown Nico, who is the mastermind behind the Tech Bytes theme song, which we love, and the engineering staff. If you like this show, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation. Maybe what you spend on coffee today or what you would spend on your co-working space for the month. If you designate your donation to Tech Bytes, I will send you something along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.